We're going to be in John 3 to start with. Obviously, we'll move around and compare Scripture to Scripture. But we will be in John 3 and the book of John. And First uh, Peter and James and First John. We're not going to spend a lot of time in First John, obviously, because we're not going to step all over. Have you enjoyed walking through First John with Mark as much as I have? So appreciate that, and uh, so we won't jump all over First John, but we it is uh, when we talk about these references, it has the most references in First John, but we're going to start off in John. We're also going to talk about context, as Mark mentioned last week, and even Jerry in his Sunday school lessons. Context is pretty important, and as Mark stated, you know, you don't have to know the Greek when you're studying the the Word if you keep everything within context and compare Scripture to Scripture as we're supposed to, as we're instructed in Corinthians. You can come to the under the leadership of the Holy Spirit also, as we're instructed in Scripture, you can come to the correct uh, interpretation of passages, but when you start pulling things out of context, you run into some problems. So speaking of context, I know it sort of might be odd uh, to bring up a, a classic rock song in the... But... Uh, we just came through a contentious campaign, and obviously uh, our elected president, President Trump, had used in this in his campaign. It's the chorus of a Bruce Springsteen song from 1984 called Born in the USA. And we used that as a patriotic anthem, uh, and so did W in his campaign back in the... Uh, <laughs> in the... Uh, late nine, mid and late 90s and stuff. Ironic, because Bruce Springsteen was, of course, a supporter of uh, President Trump's opponent in the past campaign, but he used this chorus, Born in the USA, as a patriotic anthem, like I said. Actually, it's funny, my older son, Jeff, and his wife, Savannah, just came over here to listen to me again. But uh, we were riding along in the car or truck, probably, and this song came on years ago when he was in high school, it was like, you know, the old born in the USA Patriot. And I said, you really, you really listen to what the verses say in that song and keep the chorus in context of the song. It is not a patriotic anthem. So if you'll permit me, I will read <laughs> the verses that he actually penned to this song. And then you'll see what, what I'm talking about. <laughs> First verse starts. Born down in a dead man's town, the first kick I took was when I hit the ground. End up like a dog that's been beat too much till you spend half your life just covering up. And it goes into the chorus, born in the USA. Second verse, got in a little hometown jam, so they put a rifle in my hand. They sent me off to a foreign land to go and kill the yellow man. And what do you think that's talking about? Vietnam War. <clears throat> and then it goes into the chorus. Comes into the third verse. Come back home to the refinery. The hiring man said, son, if it was up to me, I went down to see my VA man. He said, son, don't you understand? And he goes into, I had a brother in Sukhan or where one of the cities in Vietnam, and he fell in love with the Vietnamese, but, you know, he... They're all come back, but he's all gone, meaning he got ate up by Agent Orange. So anyway, I'm not going to go through every verse of <laughs> Springsteen. So I'm just saying, you pull the chorus out of context and you use it as some kind of patriotic anthem, as President Trump did and W. did. And that's, he's not saying that he, and if you know Brief Springsteen's uh, thoughts on, on America... <clears throat> He was not using that as a patriotic anthem, even though everybody is taking that out of context. 
Same thing we're going to talk about in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And once again, I, uh, I'm going to do it old school. I did not bring my iPad in here to flip around. John chapter 3. We'll just start in the, uh, at the first of the chapter, and we'll read the chapter. We won't read every, go through every verse, but we'll read the chapter, and then we'll come back and focus on verse 3 and verse 7, and then several other references, like I stated. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and obviously this is a very familiar passage, is it not? Everybody knows John chapter 3. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And what did we say in the Christmas story message a while back? If you, uh, what's in view if, you got, uh, if you're talking about the kingdom? Or if you're talking about these kind of signs being performed, you either have you got to have the Jews and the kingdom are involved when you talk about these kind of signs. But that's a little sidelight. Jack's back in here, so I'll try to cut down on the rabbit trails. Verse three: Jesus answered and said to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Second time that phrase is used. The wind blows where it wishes, and you heard the sound, hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? If uh, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Probably one of the most famous verses. Obviously, everybody memorized this when you were a kid. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son in the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. Skip on down to uh, verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We talk about context once again. Literally, in verse 3, it's... And this concept is entered entered into in chapter 1. But if you go back to verse 3, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in the context of the passage, first of all, more literally from the Greek, uh, it would be brought forth from above. Not that again isn't a proper translation, but as you'll see as we stay in context of the book of John, 
and these other passages, the more literal rendering that is, is he it would be, like I stated, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above or brought forth from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, obviously, seeing or entering, as it states in uh, later in the chapter, entering the kingdom of God, is the absolute necessity is being born from above. So, see, you have the kingdom right there, and memory also had signs mentioned in here. So, the first, another thing is you start taking things out of context because obviously in most any other church you'd go to, they equate, uh, equate this being born again with that time when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And your spirit was quick and you were made alive. In other words, you were, that time when you were saved, they equate all these passages with that, including John 3.16, Correct? That's equated with your initial salvation or your birth from uh, when somebody is unsaved gets saved. But if you, uh, if you go to John 3.16, as we just read, remember we already have signs in the kingdom in view in this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him that believe there is in the present tense also. And if you'd made some of Jerry's Sunday school lessons, we were talking about tenses a few weeks back. But that's, that's fairly important. That's present tense talks about that continuous action. Whosoever, so whosoever keeps on believing in him, present continuous action, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Once again, that's Ionios, and that's Zoe life. That's life for the age, or the age to come in the kingdom. Now, who was, who was being talked about? Who is the book of John written to? Chapter 20. Go to chapter 20. And I know most of the Bereans and obviously most of the long-time members of a community know this, but we're still going to go to chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Here at the end of the book of the Gospel of John, he gives the purpose for the pinning of the Gospel of John. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these signs, you could say, have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life, Zoe life, in his name. Remember, that's Zoe. There's three there's different Greek words that are translated life in the New Testament, but Zoe life is that type of life that God wants us to experience in the coming kingdom, in the coming age. The book of John and the signs was written to the Jews, because if you got signs, those are for the Jews. Expressly states that in the New Testament. Right? Greeks seek wisdom, but Sign, Jews seek after a sign. Signs are for the Jews. <clears throat> so see, if you take John 3.16 out of its context and use it as a, the most popular verse of the gospel of grace, you know, the gospel of uh, someone unsaved getting saved, then you destroy the message that it really was pen, penned for. And we'll see that throughout this. If you go back to John chapter 1, where this birth from above or brought forth from above or born out of God was introduced in John chapter 1. And that's also familiar when you talk about taking things out of context. But And I know in our, in our past messages we talk about the uh, things being articular 
Mark has brought it up. Jerry's brought it up before in his uh, Sunday school lessons. In the Greek, there is no indefinite article. The A, no, there is no, only the definite article, V. So you either use it <laughs> or you don't use it. Right? And when you use it, it denotes specificity. Say that five times real quick. To the subject matter that's like the faith or the life. Right? If you don't use it, then it's not supposed to be there. But a lot of times in our English translations, they leave the definite article out. Or, like the Mormons do in the beginning of John 1, they say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And they throw the indefinite article in there, which there is no indefinite article in the Greek. But they throw it in there because that makes that read according to their teachings of the Latter-day Saints. That you can actually somehow, by following all the right practices, attain to godness in the Mormon church. So they throw an indefinite article in there and completely distort the meaning of the scriptures. But once again, John 1, verse 13. Well, let's begin reading back in 11. He came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Verse 12, but as many as received him, that's in the aorist tense, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe, present tense, in his name. Here's that phrase again. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, or born out of God, or born from above. It was introduced in chapter 1, and when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he was a teacher of Israel, right? In chapter 3, he should have understood these things already. <laughs> but see, he didn't. So then, when Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, do, you not, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born from above. And it does not have, because you have the kingdom in view here, and we'll see as we continue on, it is not a reference to an unsaved person getting saved. He's talking to the Jews here, right? Book Gospel of John. That's another misnomer. When Jesus came the first time to the nation of Israel, he didn't come to an unbelieving people who had no spiritual perception. Otherwise, he couldn't have come saying, what? What was his message when he came the first time? Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Remember we say that before, repentance Repentance, in the Greek, literally a change of mind, is for believers. Right? As we've said before, a dead person who's dead spiritually, how can they change their mind about something that's spiritual? They can't do that. So repentance is for believers. And Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, his disciples after him, came preaching to to the nation of Israel, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. So you had repentance and the kingdom in view. That's another thing where you take stuff out of context. Most churches, when you talk about this passage, entering the kingdom or seeing the kingdom, they equate seeing the kingdom or entering the kingdom with going to heaven. It's all lumped in the same same, same, right? Because you take the passage out of context. We're talking about seeing the, the actual essentialness of being born from above to being able to see or enter the kingdom in that future day. So there's... Other passages, as we stated, we're going to be in James 1.18, 1 Peter 1, 3, and 23, 
And 1 John has 229, 394, 751, 54, and 518. I'll use this same phrase. And in John 3, 3 and 7, the wording in the Greek text relates to this birth is different than that that's in 1 Peter 1 and 3 and 23. And we'll see that coming up. Two words are used in, first, in John, the Gospel of John, and a compound word is used in 1 Peter. But in our English translations, it always should be translated the same, born from above. Once again, like I say, not to say that born again, which became a popular phrase in the 70s when the guy that was a peanut farmer was running for president of the United States, and all the people in the southern churches were saying, well, he's a born-again Christian. I'm going to vote for that guy. And the phrase became popular, are, are you born again? Are you born again? And it was related to an unsaved person getting saved. You know, but that's not what the phrase means in these passages right here. It's talking about the birth from above. It's an ongoing thing. And it's talking about not your past salvation, but present and future aspects of your salvation. Being born from above. So like I say, in John, a two, different, two words are used. And in 1 Peter, it's a compound word. You'll see in John, <clears throat> the Greek word ganao, and forgive me if I, you Greek scholars, if I didn't pronounce that correctly, is, uh, is joined with another Greek word, anathon. Okay? And then you see in Peter, it's actually a compound word. And he puts a uh, preposition in front of ganao, and it's ana, or ana ganao. So you have the two words in John, you have the compound word in First Peter, but that both should be translated born from above, or the birth out of God. And the preposition ana has its primary meaning of up. And ganao is just like begotten or bringing forth. So bringing forth from above or bringing forth up in, uh, in 1 Peter still should be translated born from above or that birth out of God, as mentioned in James, uh, John 1.13. <clears throat> and then there's a, uh, there's a different word altogether used in... Uh, James 1.18, it's the Greek word apakuo is used in that. That's actually a medical term which refers to that which occurs at the end of a pregnancy, a bringing forth or a giving birth, but it's a giving forth or bringing forth out of God, James 1.18. So any of you ladies that are mothers would understand what that's talking about. A bringing forth or giving forth. Actually, my uh, daughter-in-law, Savannah, not that she wanted me to point her out, but she will get to experience this at the end of June when my fifth grandchild appears as a bringing forth, a giving birth or bringing forth of Evie, my, only my second uh, granddaughter. So it's a different Greek word used, but it has the same meaning as all the other passages. And like I said, in 1 John, this is used 10 times in 1 John. So if we compare Scripture to Scripture and stay within context, it's the bringing forth from above or born out of God that has more of the thing to do with this passage than the born again even though that is a correct term, but most all the English translations use that born again instead of the literal ana, ana meaning up or born out of God. But uh, <clears throat> the birth out of God or from above 
has to do, as we stated earlier, with those things that have with our present or future salvation. Or your soul salvation, as we've talked about before. And that's another thing that's taken out of context, where in most churches you talk about uh, they, they put the spirit and soul together and they lump it together and they talk about your, your soul being saved is the same thing as when you got saved when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's completely different. Matter of fact, in the, in the ten, uh, eight of the ten uh, references in 1 John, the perfect tense is used. Not the past tense, the aorist tense, the perfect tense. And once again, we're not going to jump all over that. Mark's going through 1 John. We will pop into chapter 5 there, 1 through 5, a little bit at the end. But that's the problem with you start uh, taking things out of their context and trying to force them to mean things that they, they do not mean. As we already talked about in the Gospel of John, that Jesus, when he came that first time, he was preaching to a people that had the ability of spiritual perception. They weren't unbelieving people, but they were a disobedient people, right? They'd been disobeying for years, and they'd actually uh, were still a disobedient people. That's why he came calling them to repent. For the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And as Jerry in his uh, Sunday school lesson was talking about, the uh, Old Testament and the Aaronic priesthood, they, were, they were, had the offer of an earthly inheritance, an earthly kingdom out in front of them. And then nowadays, under the Melchizedek priesthood, we have the offer of the heavenly inheritance out in front of us. Well, so did the nation of Israel when Jesus Christ came the first time, because that's what he was asking them to do. Repent. Stop your continued disobedience. Repent for the kingdom of the heavens. And it is articular, and it is plural in every passage in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of the heavens, the heavens. It was the heavenly sphere of the kingdom that he came offering to them the first time, and what did they do? They rejected him, and they rejected the offer, just like we saw in John 1. Remember that he came into his own and his own people. He came into his own things, and his own people didn't receive him. But as many as did receive him, aorist tense, they have the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe, present tense, Continuous action on his name. So they came to him, repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. They rejected the offer, so they were set aside, right? They were set aside, and the offer was given to a new nation. The one new man in Christ, right? The church. But as we saw in John 3, something essential to seeing or entering that kingdom in that future day is being born out of God or born from above. But that has to do with present and future aspects of our salvation, not our past salvation. <clears throat> or it would have been in the aorist tense, to be specific. So we see in James, we turn to James chapter 1, verse 18. James 1, verse 18, since we've mentioned it a couple of times. We'll see that. Well, let's start in chapter, uh, verse 15. Well, let's start in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
Then when lust has conceived, it what? There's that word. Gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Now we see both aspects here, or both realms here in James. The initial bringing forth is not from above, is it? Remember verse 15? In verse 15, the Greek word is tiktah, to beget, and apakuo, as we stated earlier, to bring forth or to give birth. And they're used in a somewhat synonymous sense, but apakuo is actually showing the results of the Greek word tiktah. Tiktah is used in the first part of the verse, a bringing forth sin. And, of course, apakuo, as you can see, is used in the latter part of that verse, showing the results that it brings, you know, it, it gives birth to death. Of course, then in verse 18, apaku is used in relation to life instead of death. And this word is also used relative to the power of the word in a Christian's life. Right? Affecting or giving birth to what we call the metamorphosis. Right? The indwelling word. So you can see in the verse 15, it's a, that was brought forth from not above, that's brought forth from below. That's born out of the devil or Satan. Then in verse 18, you see the bringing forth from above. So you see both the negative and the positive aspects of that phrase brought forth from. Let's read that again. Then when lust has conceived, lust has conceived. Remember, God doesn't tempt anybody. You're tempted of your own lust, which comes from below. Well, lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin's accomplished, it brings forth or gives birth to death. Then in the converse, if you're being brought forth or begat from above or begat from God, in verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So we see that bringing forth from below. Remember the account we've talked about before when Jesus was telling his disciples what was coming, right? That he was going to have he was going to be crucified. And what did Peter do? Right? Peter interjected himself and said, no, 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 Lord. This, this ain't going to happen. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Right, but what did he say in that particular instance? He told him that. Get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter's actions at that time, were they being brought forth from below or brought forth from above? See? Was Peter all of a sudden an unbeliever, so Jesus called him Satan? <laughs> See, it's, it's his, actions, his, his actions at that time were being brought forth from below because they were not in line with what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is saying, "This is what's going to happen. This is what ha- basically what has to happen. This is what's going to happen." And Peter says, "Peter's standing in direct contrast to that, saying, no, 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 Lord, not going to happen." So 
So in 1 Peter, it gives you both the negative, being brought from below, brought forth from below, and brought forth from above. I mean, in, in uh, James, sorry. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and this has to do with additional commentary, because remember, just as Jerry was doing in his Sunday school lesson, and we were going from, we were comparing Scripture to Scripture, right? Hopefully under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, because Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture, Right? <laughs> So 1 Peter gives you some additional commentary on what we saw back in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. 1 Peter chapter 1. And a Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Who's he talking to here? <laughs> right? I don't want to be repetitive, even though, as we've stated before, rep repetition is the key to learning. See, but who's he talking to here? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's caused us to be born from above, brought forth from above to a living hope. And if anybody missed Jerry's Sunday school lesson this morning, we were just talking about that hope again. We don't hope for what we already got, right? So this isn't talking about, the blessed hope isn't talking about getting to go to heaven. Blessed hope's not talking about experiencing the rapture. Because if you're, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to experience the rapture. <laughs> okay? You don't have to hope for that. But the blessed hope it's talking about here is that heavenly inheritance that Jerry was talking about in Sunday school and has talked about all throughout the Scriptures, that seventh day that lays out ahead of us, that rests for the people of God. So once again, He caused us to be born from above or brought forth from above to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jerry went back in Genesis, and we won't turn back in Genesis, but we'll go back to Genesis and Exodus, and we'll talk about the typology again of the nation of Israel. Correct? When was their believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, or their spirit salvation, or their uh, initial salvation, whatever you want to term it? When did that take place? Remember the seven feasts that we talked about? few weeks ago also. The first feast of the Jews they have to observe every year is what? Passover. When was their Passover experience? In Egypt, right? What did they have to do to get ready for the Passover? They had to select a lamb who was without blemish, they had to what? Slame at a particular time. Remember, God's not bound by time, but He's very timely. It was literally between the evenings, remember? So it's between noon and 6 p.m. And then some 1,500 years later, when did Jesus Christ on the cross literally breathe out? 3 p.m., right? God's not bound by time, but He's very timely. 
So their Passover experience, they had to slay the lamb, then they had to prepare it in a particular way and eat inside the, their house, and they had to do what with the blood? They had to apply it to the lintel on the doorpost. And when the death angel passed over, he would see, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Okay, that was their Passover experience. So that was their initial salvation experience right there. Then what would they did? And Jerry's talking about that too. When they were promised that land, once they left Egypt, once when Pharaoh finally let them go, right? They were already in the promised land, but where were they headed? Where were they told to head? They were told to head to the Red Sea, right? And then there was what would have happened in the Red Sea? They were baptized in the Red Sea, right? And then they came up on the eastern shore. So in baptism, they were really buried in baptism, right? And they were resurrected on the eastern shore. And then they were supposed to head to the promised land. Right here, 1 Peter 1, 3. Born again to a living hope through the what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this birth from above in all these passages has to do with that, the resurrection, the, the present and future aspects. Just like in the type in, in, in the Israelites' life, they had their Passover experience there in Egypt. Then they went out and had their death, burial, and resurrection. They came up on the eastern shores, and they're headed. They're supposed to head to their earthly inheritance, the promised land. So in these passages here, when it's talking about birth from above being essential to us seeing or entering the kingdom, it's talking about present and future aspects of salvation and the works that emanate from those. Right, just like remember Mark mentioned the uh, the lady at that previous church that selflessly, I guess she would say, went over on a Saturday, cleaned the whole church, and she shows up on Sunday. And nobody says anything about it, and she gets ticked off. Right. So was that work by her born from above or born from below? See. Because if it was born from above and she was doing it through the allowing the spirit to work through her, none of that other stuff would have made any difference to her, right? But if it's born from below and she's doing it for a prideful thing, boy, when I show up tomorrow, I hope everybody, and then they come over and say, man, did you, how, how long did it take you to do that? You were here four hours doing that? And, and they, it lifts her up, right? Makes her feel. So are our works are we, uh, that we do, the righteous acts of the saints in Revelation, remember which makes up the wedding garment? <clears throat> that we better have on when we show up at the wedding feast, <laughs> right? Are they emanating from above or are they a selfish act emanating from below? <clears throat> then if we go to 1 John, as we stated earlier, most of the references are in 1 John, and like I say, we're not going to go through all of 1 John. Mark, we've been enjoying that with Mark's messages. And I want to echo his sentiments. I'll interject this here. Al may be watching at home. I think he usually does. But I told him when he, I texted, texted him in midweek just to make sure because Ken and I had already gone over it a week and a half or so ago via text but, uh, of the order in which we were speaking. But I uh, echo some of Mark's sentiments. I'm just honored to get asked to do it. But I told Al I'm just keeping his seat warm. You know, or I told him I'd keep coming in out for a bullpen for him. 
had to use a sports reference. <laughs> and I told him to rest up, so when he got back, he was coming in throwing heat. So if you're a baseball fan, I'm a Braves fan. So, But, uh, yeah, I'm just keeping his seat warm and just uh, pinch hitting for him. There's another baseball reference, baseball analogy. But obviously I don't take it lightly. James chapter 3, verse 1. Be ye not many teachers, for as such you receive the stricter judgment. So I know Mark and Don, when he was teaching at the Bereans, or Mark or Jerry when he's teaching Sunday school, or Jimmy when he's been up here, I don't take it lightly to stand up here and, and teach, and it better be proclaiming this book and not a bunch of Jeff Smith-isms. This book, this word, will go forth and won't come back void. But I don't take it lightly because uh, James chapter 3, verse 1. But First John, as we stated earlier, you see verse 2, chapter 2, verse 29. And we'll just pop from reference to reference, and then we'll make some closing comments. Verse, chapter 2, verse 29 if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And there's that medical term, giving birth. Uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin. Has anybody ever sat in a message before and heard that pastor say, if you're really a believer, right? If you're really a believer, then you won't continuously practice sin. But see, once again, they're equating this birth as being when you got saved. It's not saying that a, a true Christian won't sin or won't continuously practice sin because it's not talking about this is to believers, first of all, as Mark has already pointed out. And it's talking about the whole book of 1 John is talking about fellowship, Right? Not relationship. Say one of my children, I'll say one of my sons, and since one of them's here, just decides to go off, just live his life any way he wants to. Right? Not how he was raised. That would affect our fellowship, would it not? But at what point would he stop being my son? Say. Same thing, right in the introductory verses of 1 John, it says it's talking about fellowship, not relationship. So this is talking to believers about that birth from above. Anybody that's being continually born from above, see, if your actions are emanating out of above, you won't sin, right? But just as we stated earlier in, in the passage in James, if your actions are emanating from below or from your own personal lust, that's sin. And sin brings forth what? Death. <clears throat> not the death in that you're not going to go to heaven when you die, as we talked about. <clears throat> but that that death and that you won't get to experience the life, right? That Zoe life that God wants to, us to experience in that coming age, the kingdom. Obviously, if you lose that life, as it says in the Gospels, remember? If you lose your life now, it says you'll gain it for the age to come. But if you live your life now for yourself with all your actions being born from below, then you're going to lose that life in the age to come. You won't get to experience that life. You'll be disqualified. You'll be disapproved at the judgment seat of Christ. And you won't get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom. Not Jeff Smith saying that, <laughs> right? As this book says that, if you leave things in their context and don't distort them, 
or pull one verse out of a passage and use that as some kind of trump card. Trump. <laughs> I said trump. Use it as some kind of trump card. I grew up in the cornfields of Indiana, as I stated. We used to go out at my aunt and uncle's farm. They had a big 56-acre apple orchard. Basically, it was an orchard business. Made Obviously, they sold apples, made pure sweet cider, made apple butter. And they sold them all over a little store, metal building store that Uncle Charlie had built there. But we'd all go out to the farm at, you know, at Christmas and other times. And the older people, here's me saying this, but <laughs> they were old back when I was 14. Uh, the older people would get around the table and the, their whole garage was shut up and they had a pool table in there and a bunch of card tables and they would play euchre which I still don't know. It's a card game. Never learned to play it. Don't even know how you play it. But they would play euchre, and if you had a certain card, it was a trump card. And my one uncle wore a Masonic Lodge ring on this hand. Whenever he'd play his trump card, if he had a trump card, he'd slap it down on the table to trump whoever he was trumping and smack his Masonic, you know, you know slap it real hard, and boom, he'd trump you. Well, that's what the people that don't accept, when I, in my experience, as I've been proclamating or trying to talk about the kingdom truths for the past 20-something years, other believers that don't want to accept it, obviously they'll pull one verse out and try to play a trump card. Like, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Trump card, Jeff. Right? Or so shall we always be with the Lord... Trump card, Jeff. But they're taking that one verse out of the context of the whole book that they're pulling it out of. Right? And they just think, boom, boom, trump card. So then when I start talking, well, well, let's talk about the context of this book that you just pulled that one verse out of, then they don't want to sit there and talk about it. Because it defeats their purpose for pulling that one verse out of context. So anyway, born from above, John 3, 3 and 3, 7, being born from above or brought forth from above is absolutely essential to seeing or entering the kingdom. Jeff Smith didn't say that. The disciple John was led by the Holy Spirit to pen those words in the Gospel of John. And if you leave them in their context and don't pull them out, then that's the only can, you know, interpretation you can come to. So Al, hope I kept this place warm. I don't know who's up next week because I think Alan in the text, I think he said he was shooting for like the 26th before he was going to try to come back. So I don't know if Mark's coming back or Ken. It's Ken's going next week. So we're all just pinch hitting for Alan. So uh, thank you for your attention. Let's uh, have a little word of prayer and then uh, Ken will lead us in a verse. Father, we just thank you for this day and this opportunity to come together and to freely open your word and to study it. We pray that we would let our actions be brought forth from above. We do want to also pray for all these that we've been mentioning with the sickness, especially for our pastor, Alan, that you would touch his body and heal him, as well as the others that were mentioned that are battling cancer. We pray that as we go forth, that we would walk worthy of our calling. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.